the Irish Times business podcast in association with Irish Life. We're here to support your company and your employees now and in the future. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Hello and welcome to Inside Business with Kieran Hancock, a podcast from the Irish Times. This week I was joined in studio by a panel of guests to discuss Pascal Dunhu's summer economic statement, his first opportunity since becoming Minister for Finance to formally lay out his priorities for this year's budget. We discussed his limited headroom for tax cuts, the increased spending on infrastructure and what that might mean, and the government's change in tack on reducing our debt-to-GDP ratio. Joining me in studio were Cliff Taylor of the Irish Times, economist Jim Power and Joe Brennan, markets correspondent with the Irish Times. Before you hear from the panel, let me remind you that this podcast can be downloaded for free from iTunes and it's also available on our website, irishtimes.com forward slash podcasts. Now to our panel. I began by asking Cliff Taylor to explain how much money Pascal Donoghue will have in the budget for tax cuts and extra public spending. Well, as things now stand, Kira, not a, not a huge amount. Uh, so the minister was saying today that when you take account of all the existing commitments the government has uh, and the new public sector pay deal, assuming it's passed, that he may not have much more than an additional three hundred million for new mm. spending and tax measures. Now, I suppose to put that in context, the government can have as much as it wants if it decides to save money elsewhere or raise new taxes in other areas to to, to try and address its priorities. And there so that's just to be clear, that three hundred million or so is without raising income uh, from other tax. Headings. Absolutely, yeah. So I think I think there's two things to look out for over the next few months. Uh, the first is that number may change. Uh, so generally does, doesn't it? It generally I mean, they, does. They generally find some money on the back of the couch, so to speak. They do, they do. So the current figure is 500 million. You take away the guts of 200 for the additional cost of the public sector pay deal next year, and that gets you down to 300. They generally, as you say, do find some extra money down the couch uh, later in the year, so so that number is likely to increase, but maybe not by enough to, to lead to any kind of a big giveaway. So I think to meet their needs, if you like, or to, or to meet the demands in, in key areas like housing and uh, the commitments to cut income tax, the government's going to have to look to save money in some other areas. And there's a big review of spending going on at the moment, uh, the results of which are going to be announced over the next few months, uh, and maybe raise extra taxes in areas like excises, the traditional areas that are used to, to raise money to, to, to pay for cuts in income tax. So I think there are two things to look out for in the run-up to the budget. The problem, is, of course, with saving money and cutting existing programmes is whatever you cut, there's going to be a row about it. Uh, you know, th- there'll be controversy about uh, cutting any money from particularly the big spending areas, obviously like mm-hmm. health and education already under pressure. Yeah. So it's difficult, difficult to save money. Jim, they've talked about a two-to-one uh, public spending to tax allocation, if you like, in whatever headspace we have in the budget. So let's say it's $300 million. That would uh, suggest $200 million for public spending purposes and $100 million in tax cuts to people, which is not all, really, isn't it? Well, it depends if the public sector pay deal is included in the spending or not. I mean, there, there could be up to $200 million available for tax cuts, but $200 million is minuscule. For example, if you lifted the um, floor by a thousand euro at which you went the threshold at which you went at the top rate of tax if you lift it from 33,800 to 34,800 um, it costs about 178 million in a full year so that's so that gone that's that gone and that would have a very minimal impact on people. So I think um, those people who get up early in the morning mm. um, come, 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 come October, I don't think they're f- going to feel um, 
significantly better off. But I suppose it does represent a change from what we lived through for a number of years there where the only question we had after every budget was how much had been taken from mm. us. At least now there's something being given back. But it's not going to change the world, there's no doubt about that. Oh, what about tweaking but the USC? Because that was a, an election commitment uh, from Fianna Gael at the last general election. I know things changed, it's a minority government and all of that. They had to do the supply and confidence arrangement with Fianna Fáil. But nonetheless, uh, yeah, Pascal and, and Leo, they haven't exactly pulled back from doing something on USC. No, they haven't. And I, and I suspect um, if they're looking for scope to do something reasonably significant on the income tax side, they may just increase the USC burden on higher income workers and um, perhaps reduce it a little bit on lower income workers, perhaps take some more workers out of the tax. Now, they may do some fiddling around with the USC to give them a little bit more scope to do stuff on the income tax side. Uh, but I repeat the point, at the end of the day, there's nobody going to be significantly better off as a result of this. Um, they did say in the summer statement there, this, the minister said that um, they would be looking at the composition of taxation and basically the suggestion was we may increase taxes that don't have a distortionary impact and economic activity and reduce taxes that do. So the suggestion is they would like to see income taxes particularly coming down, but other taxes, perhaps um, that, whatever, um, going up. Yeah. Joe Brennan, you, being, you covered the AIB IPO, that share sale um, that took place recently, which generated 3.4 billion euros or, or thereabouts in proceeds for the government. Uh, the government seems to be sticking to its guns on the fact that that's going to be used for debt repayment. Just wondering, you were at the NTMA annual report launch during the week. Did Conor O'Kelly, the chief executive there, did he speak to that at all? Yeah, he did. And he said, look, at when you have an opportunity like this to pay down debt, uh, take that opportunity. He also pointed out the fact that uh, of the £200 billion plus of uh, gross government debt that's out there, um, £60 billion of that is directly attributable to the bailout of the banks. So when you have an opportunity to pay down take that opportunity. Uh, up until now, the reduction of the debt-to-GDP ratio has been down to the growth factor as opposed to paying down of the debt. Uh, and again, that has been driven largely by the fact that uh, multinationals uh, moving onshoring uh, intellectual property into Ireland in recent years has really kind of boosted the, the, the economic, uh, the GDP figures. So when you have an opportunity like that, pay down the debt. And he also said that having the uh, point up the obvious that uh, having a, a listing uh, of AIB now gives the government the opportunity in time to continue to kind of place stock on, on the market and, and continue to use that as a way of paying down the debt. Cliff, why don't we use at least some of the proceeds of the $3.4 billion that we got from this AIB IPO? Why don't we use some of that to loosen the purse strings a bit or to you know give people some uh, tax cuts, etc.? I mean, maybe you know put $3 billion towards the national debt and $400 million towards... Sure. I mean, you can make an argument to do that. You could, you could certainly make an argument to put some of it towards in increasing investment. Um, maybe more difficult to make an argument to put it towards tax cuts or current spending increases because you have a once-off revenue and you're uh, undertaking commitment that's going to last for, for, for a number of years. But really, I think if you stand back a bit, and, and there was an interesting reference in the statement or in the summer economic statement to the money in the NTMA cash fund uh, and also the money held by the Strategic Investment Fund, which took some of the pension fund money and is now investing it in businesses, but also has a lot of investments in equities and bonds. And the minister said, look, I'm going to look at 
this money and see can some of it be used to help us boost investment uh, and can some of it be used uh, to start the establishment of the much discussed rainy day fund so really I think the 3.4 billion AIB is to some some extent neither here nor there there's there's a lot more in the strategic investment fund already Um, there's uh, also money held by the NTMA Uh, so there is cash there how much have they got in their balance sheet the strategic investment fund well the NTMA, the NTMA never reveal what they have mm. and, and they do need to keep a buffer in case you know something weird happens in markets and they can't borrow but they usually keep at least 10 billion and they may have significantly more they're likely to have significantly more than that uh, and there's also several billion in the strategic investment fund uh, a lot of it readily accessible you know it's held in cash or, or, or bonds or equities that could, that could quickly be sold only a portion so far has been invested in businesses so the government has a lot a lot of cash to play with there in terms of increasing investment and in terms of, of funding that. It also can borrow money from the European Investment Bank. I think the bigger problem is choosing the right projects, getting them done uh, and making sure that this doesn't turn into a kind of a political carve-out where one minister gets one thing and another minister gets another. Oh, that's generally how it works, isn't it? And, uh, you know, projects aren't assessed properly in terms of cost-benefits. Mm. Um, the big one, of course, is Metro North, and we have yet to see set down on a sheet of paper. You know what it's going to cost, what Joe. the benefits are. Yeah, one point that uh, Conor Kelly, uh, the chief executive of NTMA, made during the the, the press conference on Monday, was uh, when the uh, when the annual report was published, was saying that more could be made of uh, PPPs uh, in Ireland to keep you know moves of. Uh, we don't have a great experience with. Well, that's uh, the problem. PPPs. Exactly, exactly. Um, Particularly on, on the housing side, Jim Power. What would your priority be on infrastructure? Corkleymore Motorway. Yeah, I think the Cork Limerick motorway is absolutely essential. I mean, two of the major cities, and there are massive growth plans, particularly for Limerick. Mm. So I think linking the two cities. Are there indications uh, that's going to that's going to go? There are indications. Yeah, I mean, there's very strong lobbying going on at that part Mm. of the world. Uh, Yesterday, both chambers of commerce uh, delivered a very positive economic assessment of the impact. Naturally, yeah, Uh, yeah. but (laughs) but but no, I I think being serious about it. I mean, it's an absolutely dreadful road, and it's a serious impediment to. And it could be a, a balance to Dublin. As well, uh, which, it could, it could, it could indeed, did, and which the I government mean, has talked about. Yes, there's no doubt about that. I mean, Limerick and Cork would benefit both enormously from that sort of development. Mm. And then I think the other area of strategic importance, particularly from a multinational perspective, and they've been arguing about this for years, um, some sort of motorway to the northwest. I mean, the road network up to the northwest, where there is a significant multinational presence, is absolutely diabolical as well. You know, companies like Baxter over the years have complained bitterly about the damage to their product by transporting on dreadful roads. So I I think they would be two very good road projects. Um, Metro North, uh, you know, I would like to see it done. Um, There are many critics out there, but there were many critics for the Dart and the Lewis. Likewise, Um, they both proved very, very successful. So, you know, I I think we've we've got to go for it. We've Mm. got to. What about Dart Underground? I mean, CIE was saying some years ago that this is a crucial piece of infrastructure to tie everything together, to make sense of all of the bits and bobs we've got on the rail side. Yeah, I can't see it happening for the foreseeable future number one it would be incredibly expensive but number two um, a very very difficult project I think to go under um, a medieval city you know I think it'd be very, well, it's been done but uh, I think it's been London wasn't yes yes of course city? of course but there was a lot of money available back then to do it um, for the empire there's a lot less money available here at the moment uh, I don't think it would be priority to be honest I think if we had decent surface transport at least that would be a step in the right direction mm. here in Dublin is that considered uh, infrastructure? Uh, 
yeah, it is actually. I mean, they, they could uh, divert money from the Strategic Investment Fund into housing. There's no doubt about that. So, uh, you know, the uh, I, I actually think there's an easier solution, though. I mean, I, I think you create the incentives for the development industry to deliver housing. Um, those incentives are not there at the moment. Um, unfortunately, the incentives NTF- for builders now, that never really, it just doesn't sound right. No, it doesn't sound right. But uh, the, the problem after the crash is that we just don't have enough developers out there at the moment willing and able to build houses. Um, and that's a serious problem. And um, how do you get them back in? I mean, the demand side response um, that has been adopted over the last couple of years, I think is totally wrong. The help to buy scheme, um, I think the central bank should not have relaxed the lending criteria. They're just feeding demand. Uh, we haven't really addressed the well, supply they only, side. I mean, they only loosened the reins by about an inch now the central bank. Yes, but by an inch, but it had a marginal impact. Um, there's no doubt, and if you talk to people in the industry, it very definitely had an impact. Mm. Um, you know, there's no doubt about that. And I think, in fairness to Philip Lane, he did the minimum that he could get away with, yeah. given the political pressure that well, was Well, we had on. Mark Fitzgerald on a, a few weeks ago. Yes. Maybe he would say this, is, he's an estate agent at the end of the day, but he said, keep help to buy. He said that help to buy was helping to moderate prices for uh, new build homes, that the, the pressures were in the second-hand um, sector and we've since had Abby during uh, during the week they had results out they said help to buy definitely working it's definitely helping it make it more viable for developers to build in certain areas yeah but meanwhile the price for buyers is going up and we saw the latest data from the CSO yesterday but is it going so, up for, for new homes for newly built homes or is it as Mark Fitzgerald says is it happening simply in the second hand sector I think it's happening in both sectors my understanding um, there's a development that came on stream in Terran Europe pretty recently and the prices there are pretty phenomenal you know very very high um, so I, I think it's happening but prices in Terran Europe are kind of high well, anyway aren't well they are I mean Dublin 6 and Dublin 6W um, perform very strongly in terms of prices at, at the moment uh, but I, I think if you put money into people's pockets they are going to pay more for those houses um, I I just don't buy this argument that by forcing prices up you're going to elicit greater supply I think you've got to address the supply side you've got to look at planning you've got to look at development levies mm. perhaps take a look at the VAT rate uh, there's but other the CIF, supply side the issues Construction yes. Industry Federation in the paper to government yes. have warned that if they abolish help to buy then they risk uh, you know, making the housing shortage more acute. And they've said that they reckon about 18,000 uh, new bills this year, and they say that's at risk of help to buy goes. Yeah, well, the, 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 the risk, of course, when you remove any um, incentive like that, um, a lot of people rush in to try and avail of it before it's abolished, and there's definitely been evidence of that over the last couple of months. There's no doubt about that. Uh, but you'd have to take that as a once-off adjustment. Um, in the sense that, you know, it happens, you get on with it, and but then you try and recreate a proper housing market, which we do not have at the moment. I don't know, I, I just don't buy the argument that feeding the demand side actually yeah. works. I'd much prefer to see a strong supply side response. Cliff, help to buy a stair, go. Go. I'm on Jim's, uh, I'm on Jim's side on this one. I, I just I just think it, it can't but be fueling price increases. Um and uh, I, 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 I'd just be sceptical about it. I, I'm well, not. I'm not embarrassing s- for the government, given that this only really came into effect in oh, January. Oh, hugely embarrassing. For them to have yeah, to reverse horse, if you like. Yeah. Uh, do a U-turn on this yeah. and say, after less than a year of operation, we're scrapping it. Hugely. I mean, and there is a, they, they are undertaking a study. Indicon, I think, uh, consultants are doing a study for them. So I suppose, look, let's see what the study 
what the study says. Uh, we presume it, you know, it'll, it'll be done on a on a fully independent basis, and uh, let, let's see what it says and the conclusions it reaches. And I presume they'll look at the price of new houses and the price of existing houses and, and look at what evidence is there. But I, I'd be a skeptic about it. There's, you know, the answer to this is on the supply side for sure, uh, and you know, perhaps one of the ways that the government could look at in terms of increased investment are, you know, the water and waste infrastructure, for example, needs to be developed. That is key to bringing new land on stream, particularly around uh, the environs of Dublin. So, you know, that's that's the kind of thing. The problem is it may not pay off for four or five years, which is maybe beyond the political cycle. But, mm. but, but they, they sent a Irish water to do precisely that. And the people revolted. They did. Well, the people revolted at paying for it. So it's going yeah. to have to come out of the general pie now. So, you know, this is the minister is talking about allocating extra money to investment. We're going to have over five billion spent in uh, state capital investment next year up from three and a half years up from three and a half a few years ago so we're going to have to decide where to spend this best and uh Joe, you were talking to Charles Gallagher of Abbey during the week, and he was definitely in the camp of keeping help to buy. Tell us why. Yeah, his main point is um, that they have some kind of marginal sites. Um, they have sites, obviously, in, in Wicklow uh, and, and Meath and Dublin, which will, are going to sell anyway. Uh, it's just the kind of sites that we'd have in, in, in Kildare and, and Leash, which are not viable. And they say, look at it, the increase in prices as a result of this. And he says there has been an increase in prices as a result of the, the help to buy scheme. Um, is is making is bringing these types of, of 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 projects to a state where they're kind of approaching viability. And his main point is that having introduced it and this whole chopping and changing, and you have developers in areas that are maybe 30, 40 kilometres outside of Dublin, dusting down plans on the basis of this, and then six months later it's whipped. Uh, I suppose when you just think back. This was brought in, the, the mad thing about this, it was brought in at the same time as the central bank was easing its uh, its, its lending uh, restrictions for first-time buyers. So the, both of them were kind of uh, yeah. stimulus, uh, both stimulus kind of uh, packages were brought around at the same time. You would have thought that maybe one should have been pulled back if the other yeah. was proceeding. Jim, correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't the help to buy scheme uh, designed by the government to get around the central bank's macroprudential rules? Yeah, pretty much, absolutely. Um, the, uh, I mean, the political system was opposed to the macroprudential rules when they were first introduced. I think that was February 2015, as far as I remember. Uh, but the government was opposed at that stage, um, or the political system was opposed. So definitely this measure was put in place to counteract some of that. Uh, and despite the fact that the changes were then made simultaneously by the central bank. So what you were doing was really giving a double whammy to the demand side of the equation. Um, I, I just... I just don't get a sense at the moment that there's a lack of demand out there. Um, and, and even if the, the the help to buy scheme were eliminated, I don't believe um, it would dampen demand. The demand is fundamentally strong. It's going to get stronger. You know, if you look at the employment background, the growth background, the demographic trends, there's a lot of demand coming into the system. So there's only one way to solve that demand, and that is to meet it with aggressive supply. Yeah. Okay, we're going to take a short break now. When we return, we'll be exploring the government's much-talked-about rainy day fund. Back in a few moments. Only 29% of us know how much we need to live on in retirement. Irish Life is changing that with Empower, a new approach to company pensions that helps change the way your employees think about their future. For more, go to irishlifeempower.ie or talk to your pension consultant. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Irish Life Assurance PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. All information sourced for Irish Life June 2015. 
Now, welcome back. This is Inside Business with Kieran Hancock. I'm joined in studio by Cliff Taylor of the Irish Times, economist Jim Power, and Joe Brennan, markets correspondent with the Irish Times. And we're discussing the government's summer economic statement. And specifically in this part of the show, we're going to talk about this much talked about rainy day fund. Let me just remind you that you can download this podcast for free from iTunes. And it's also available on our website, irishtimes.com forward slash podcast. Cliff Taylor, um, the rainy day fund was supposed to be a billion euro a year, uh, kind of over three years. It was announced by Michael Noonan. And it's been watered down now to the, uh, it's been cut in half effectively yeah. by Pascal Donoghue and Leo Varadkar, I guess, the new Taoiseach. And it's going to be 500 million euro a year over three years. And yeah. and the extra one and a half billion is going to be put into infrastructure spending. But I was just thinking about it. What would you get for 500 uh, million euro? You wouldn't even get the Lewis Cross City project for no, that. Well, what's get, the point of this? You wouldn't get a lot. I don't think there's a lot of point, really. Uh, I think probably... Leo Varadkar might have, might have wanted to get rid of the rainy day fund altogether um, but obviously Fianna Fáil dug in on it uh, I mean the government says it was never its plan to abolish the idea completely but anyway one way or another it's going to go ahead now but it's going to go ahead with, yeah. with very small amounts but, of money But you mentioned a few minutes ago you said that the NTMA always has this buffer and you say it's about 10 it or 11 billion euro I mean is that not our rainy day fund? It is that is one of our rainy day funds and there's no doubt that the money in the strategic investment fund which is designed for putting into businesses in the years ahead that that is the second part of our rainy day fund so just in the way that the National Pension Reserve Fund was raided to recapitalise the banks during the last crisis billion from memory, that sounds right. Well, um, bailout, anyway. Yeah, uh, that sounds right. Uh, and we would have been, it has to be said, in a lot more trouble had that cash not been available and it would have taken us a lot longer to get out of the mess. Uh, we do have considerable resources in these various funds as, available. So while there is no technical rainy day fund at the moment, as Department of Finance officials pointed out this week, there are resources in place that the, that the government can, can, can call on. So I think sensibly what... Uh, Pascal Dunne, who has said, he says, look, I'm going to get an assessment done of the NTMA cash, the cash in the strategic investment fund, and we're going to try and make a decision on, you know, what's put into the rainy day fund and what's put into investment. You know, it sounds like a sensible approach. One of the things that 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 did that that I did notice as well, looking at the. Um, Looking at the forecast for the next mm. few years, the government is going to meet its financial target for next year of cutting borrowing to 0.5% of GDP, which is technically, so technically balancing, balancing the books, the books as yeah. they say, although it's not quite balancing the books because we're still borrowing a bit. Previously, uh, the estimate had been that borrowing was going to be done away with completely by 2019, but now that's been pushed forward to 2020. So I just think we need to be a little bit careful, given that we have a debt pile of $200 billion already, uh, that we just, you know, just watch, we watch our house, if you like, uh, on this. Yeah. Uh, whether, you know, whether it's, and, and whether that's manifests itself via the rainy day fund or, or paying down bits of debt. Uh, but just having some leeway, if you like, uh, if we if the economy does get a bit of a knock from Brexit or whatever over the next yeah. few years. Jim Power, 500 million euro a year. It wouldn't be a, a small, a short uh, ranger. Yeah, I, yeah, indeed it would. Uh, no, I, I, I think it's, it, it's a waste of time, to be perfectly honest, putting... 500 million away in the context of the figures we're talking about is a total waste of time and I also think it's a little bit strange to be setting up a rainy day fund at a time when all of the other problems we have with delivering housing, with delivering proper health service, law and order and so on um, I think the money would be better spent in improving infrastructure and public services rather than putting a little bit away in a rainy day fund um, uh, One aspect of the summer statement today was um, if you're Remember in last year's budget, Michael Noonan decided uh, 
not just 60% debt GDP ratio, he was going to go to 45%. Um, Pascal Dunne, who said today he's going to go to 60% and then he'll work at 55%. Then maybe but, 45 but, yeah, when but no the stop there. The way, yeah. He'll go to 45 once all of the Hopefully major capital projects, no, it won't, all the major capital projects. So that does, I suppose, suggest a little bit of fiscal leeway down the road at the moment. But as I say, in terms of priorities, I'm not sure putting 500 million into a rally day fund. Um, mm. is, is either here or there. I prefer to see it addressing uh, the many problems that are out there at the moment. And, and I always have to say with the National Pension Reserve Fund, uh, I always had, I think it was a good idea provided it was kept for um, public sector pensions and state pensions. Um, but it, it was, I, I found it a bit strange that in an environment where we had a serious infrastructure deficit that we were taking money out of GDP and investing it in foreign bonds and foreign equity markets um, I prefer to have seen that. Of course, we were awash with cash. We were awash with cash, so absolutely, yeah. I, I think the argument at the time was, well, we still have a lot of money to spend on yeah. infrastructure as well, and we yeah. had national development mm. plans and mm. so forth, some of which came to fruition. You know, at, at, at the end of the day, what will determine the success or failure of all of this is the potential growth rate of the economy. You know, and the one way you get the potential growth rate of, rate of the economy up and moving is by investing in structures of the economy and infrastructure. Yeah. So I think that that has to be a key priority. And indeed, you know, in fairness to Pascal Dunhoe, I think it was a key part of the summer statement today, this commitment to spending as much money as he possibly can on capital. Yeah. Joe, did the rainy day fund come up at the NTMA's press briefing? Because yeah. the NTMA is in charge of managing our debt pile. Yeah, the NTMA was asked about that rainy day fund or, 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 or capital expenditure. And uh, Conor Kelly said that uh, investors uh, would largely be ambivalent, was the word he used uh, for that, given that it's, a, it's investment at some so stage, they don't care one or the if we other. Put it into a rainy day fund, or if we exactly. spend it on infrastructure. Yeah. Yeah. Once it's not current spending, current spending, current expenditure is what raised the red flag. Yeah. As far as, and they are not just looking at international investors; they're also looking at the the ratings agencies uh, as they rate Ireland. Sure, Cliff. There is a danger, I suppose, that some infrastructure spend. I mean, it depends how you define infrastructure, but you could build new schools, for example, mm-hmm. which requires you to hire more teachers, which requires uh, current spending, or you could yeah. build a new guard barracks or an army barracks, or you could yeah. give the navy a new ship or whatever, uh, w- which might require you to hire more people, yeah. which feeds into current spending. So we have to be careful on the infrastructure piece, don't we? We do. That's just a question of planning. And, you know, the government says it's going to do this. It's going to set out a long-term capital programme. It's going to look at the current costs and how it's going to be paid for. And, you know, but you're right, particularly that kind of current spending does create a demand for, for or capital spending rather, does create a demand for ongoing current spending. I mean, one of the interesting things, looking at the... Um, look at the documents and the forecasts beyond 2018 is that there may be a bit more leeway to pay for for things like that in future years uh, provided and it's a big provided the growth forecasts are met because uh, we were talking about earlier in the program about the leeway in this budget of maybe 300 million may go up a bit may not if you look at the year after the 2019 budget which will be presented in October 2018 uh, the estimate now is there be fiscal space to use that awful word or room for manoeuvre of 3 billion 10 times as much and the same again and a bit more in the subsequent two years now that's that's serious money you know I think you've got to look a bit sceptically at that given the difficulty of economic forecasting uh, and the difficulty of tax revenue forecasting and we have all those things we have all those things external issues but, that we you know, can't control but nonetheless we are in a bit of an unusual position at the moment in the way that the EU rules are are, are, are restraining us 
um, and and even next year there would be there would be more money if, if it hadn't been for for one of the particular rules, the expenditure benchmark rule. So there is a possibility that there will be you know significantly greater sums of money in subsequent years, which creates an interesting political dynamic for the government. Because if you are Leo Varadkar and Pascal Donoghue and, and you're into the middle of next year, you're going to want to stay on to present the 2019 budget if you think there's going to be a, a bit of scope there. Uh, but, but if you're Michal Martin, you might be looking for an excuse to have a run uh, right, yeah. before all that happens. I mean, who knows? But yeah, it, it, does yeah. cre- it does. I think it'll play into the political dynamic moving into next year. Jim, it's early days, but are you impressed with Leo and with Pascal Donoghue? I know you you were of the view that it was time for Enda Kenny and Michael Noonan to step down. So are you impressed with the early soundings from Leo Varadkar and Pascal? Uh, Yeah, I mean, I think you have to be realistic. uh, Given the ship they've taken over, you know, particularly the political dynamic driving it, and and also given the state of the public finances, the various constraints, um, you know, there's not a lot of money out there to play with. But uh, I'd be, yeah, I'd be happy at the moment. Uh, They seem to be going in the right direction. Um, They're certainly not doing anything uh, that would scare foreign investors in Ireland. And, you know, going back to the NTMA Mm -hmm. and their... um, serious concern obviously Mm. about how rating agencies view Ireland so they're definitely doing everything to reassure people like that about the stability of Ireland Um, the growth forecast over the next three or four years is is reasonably good so barring some unforeseen event comes and hits us and something surely will that we don't know anything about at this stage but barring well Brexit isn't quite unforeseen now to say we still don't know quite how it's going to play out we we, we don't absolutely And, and I think it's that Brexit uncertainty has got to predicate everything we do in terms of economic management. Um, But in that context, I think what we've seen from Leo and Pascal so far, you know, wouldn't cause me any concern. You know, it's a pretty cautious approach. Um, I think it's a pro-growth approach, uh, but I don't think it's time for heroics at the moment. And incidentally, I would leave the 9% VAT rate in place for the hospitality sector, (laughs) despite what you were writing in today's Irish Times. (laughs) Well, I, I said that it, uh, as the Department of uh, Finance officials have said, that it, it has done its job. And uh, by the way, did you write a report uh, for any of these hospitality uh, industries? I, I, I do ongoing uh, stuff for the restaurants. Let's declare our interests here. I do ongoing um, assessment of the market of the Restaurants Association of, of Ireland, you know. And, uh, and they, of course, the, want to see it retained. Yeah. Well, they do. And, and of yeah, course, yeah. the problem that you outlined in your oh, piece, yeah. in fairness, was that, um, you know, in rural Ireland particularly, um, it, it's, it's not a fair representation of what's going on in the Dublin market. So it's, it, it's, a, it's a difficult one, there's no doubt about that. But given Pascal Gibo, thanks Pascal Donahue for, or Patrick Gibo rather, thanks Pascal Donahue for his 9% uh, <laughs> does he, yeah. fat rate. I'm sure he does. Yeah. Uh, Cliff, you wanted to make a point on Leo yeah, and Pascal. I mean, Are you I, impressed? I, 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 would, I pretty much agree with what uh, Jim was saying there. I, I think the real issue for them uh, is, is going to be delivery. Yeah. Uh, they haven't got a vast amount of money to throw around. Uh, and they have to show that they can somehow tackle the real issues that are that are irritating people and exercising mm. people. But why give tax cuts you know, at all? Help- why, why not prioritise spending on health services? Yeah, absolutely. Or education? Wouldn't Irish people, I mean, we're very socially conscious, wouldn't sure. Irish people appreciate that? Deal with the homeless crisis? They would. I mean, one of the interesting things is surveys tend to show that people want tax cuts rather than spending increases. The reality of of that, I, I I don't know I don't know if it's true or not, but I, there are there are key problems in the health service and the waiting lists 
uh, the queues if you go into A and E. There are problems that affect you know everybody. There are you real problems. The guy was rebuffed at the last election, and they had promised to abolish USC, and, and the Irish electorate didn't buy it. They didn't know that there's real problems in the education system, uh, and there's you know the national broadband plan, which we heard recently is going to be delayed yet again. It's a scandal. The, Perhaps the most important thing for rural development. I mean, Jim, for Jim, Jim's roads are mm. and are important too. But the broadband, you know, without broadband, no one, no one is going to go near a, a location that doesn't that doesn't have proper broadband. Roads now, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. There's an important court case coming later this month as well in the High Court uh, to deal with planning and the Apple uh, data centre in Athenry. Mm. And we know that Apple has already uh, cracked on with uh, data center in, in Denmark, yeah. and I think they have plans now for one in China, and that's all going to happen before the Irish one yeah. has even got planning permission. I mean, that's a bit of a worry, Jim, as well, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, that might put multinationals off if they think they're well, going to run into that kind of issue. Absolutely. It is a huge concern, but any, it's, I suppose it's the nature of this country, any sort of development you try and undertake, um, it meets massive resistance. So I think it's it's, it's a massive mistake um, appealing this. Um, I, and I definitely think it does send out an, a negative signal about doing business here in Ireland. Um, and as you say, they've ploughed ahead with the with the data centre in Denmark, so um, it certainly should set alarm bells ringing here. Because if they go, if they're going to keep encountering these very expensive delays, and that's what they will be, very expensive delays, well, they'll just decide, well, it's not worth it. So I think we need to be very, very careful about that. Joe, are you impressed by Pascal and Leo? Um, well, they haven't really been tested yet, so I think wait for the first big test, <clears throat> just come along and see how they deal with that, and then you can actually really rate them. Right, okay. Um, maybe, Cliff, a, a final word to you. The, the budget's in October. Do you think there will be any rabbits pulled out of the hat? <laughs> I think small, small-sized small rabbits, maybe. Uh, a few small rabbits. I mean, I think uh, the new Taoiseach, new minister, they're, they're going to have to be seen to put their mark on it in some way. Uh, so then you ask, well, wh- what are they going to want to do? Clearly, all the pointers are towards capital investment. So I think we're going to see a few projects announced our start dates our commencement dates our dates being brought forward I think that'll be one thing and the other thing is that, I mean both Leo Varadkar and Pascal Dunham have been going, up, going on about tax on work about income tax so wherever they find the money whether it's behind the sofa by higher excise duties you know they're going to have to find something I think to, to do something on the USC or income tax it may not as we were saying earlier feel like an awful lot in people's pockets come next year but I think they're going to have to make some nod uh, in that direction for sure Jim, final, final word. Same question. Any rabbits out of the hat? Uh, they'll find a few bunnies, uh, but, uh, you know, in the overall scheme of things, um, I, th- I think there's way too much attention paid in this country to the annual budget um, because... newspapers. <laughs> it's got very good for newspapers. <laughs> it gives me a lot of work to it, Cliff, so I'm not complaining. I should say we benefit from that 9% VAT rate as well. Uh, indeed, indeed you do, Karen. absolutely. I forgot that point. But no, I mean, a budget isn't going to change the world. There's way too much emphasis. Um, what you would like to see happening is a medium-term sensible strategy towards fiscal management towards capital expenditure, current expenditure and taxation. So one thing I do hate is budgets every year budgets go off in different directions I'd like to see some sort of clear strategy obviously as circumstances change you've got to change direction but I think the overall strategy needs to be well defined and I I would like to see when a government comes in in five years saying this is what we intend to do over the next five years Mm. all going well you need a majority for that of course you would that's the problem absolutely and that's the problem the political system uh, renders it very difficult so uh, my bottom line answer to your question is I don't expect any significant surprises in October. 
Okay, on that bombshell, we leave it there for this week from Inside Business. My thanks to Jim Power, Cliff Taylor and Joe Brennan. Declan Conlon produced the show. Let me remind you that the podcast is available to download for free from iTunes and you'll also find it on our website, irishtimes.com forward slash podcasts. And don't forget you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our business today, email at irishtimes.com. And you can also follow the Irish Times business feed each day on Twitter and Facebook. I'm Kieran Hancock. Until next time, take care.